Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Do you ever hear a story and just go, wow? That's what happened when a coworker who had been visiting one of our program partner agencies, the American Red Cross, told me about Phyllis Wiggins. Phyllis is a United States Army veteran who served on active duty from 1990 to 96, plus two years in the Ready Reserve. These days, Phyllis is a full-time volunteer with the American Red Cross. Phyllis devotes her life to helping people in a time of desperate need, acting as a logistics lead responding to disasters all over the United States. However, her journey from the military to the American Red Cross was anything but easy. Here's Phyllis. My first encounter with the American Red Cross occurred while I was in the military, somewhere around the year of 1990. Um, I was arrested and falsely imprisoned. I had no idea what I was there for because nobody ever told me. And I ended up in prison and my family couldn't find me. So I'd always told my family one of the things they tell us when we're in basic training is if your family wants to get in contact with you, they should go through the Red Cross. And after a while, my family realized they needed to contact the Red Cross, so they did. And the Red Cross was able to help them locate me and give them advice about how to help me. And that was really, really important because the crime I was accused of was fairly serious, and I'm pretty certain that I would have been locked up still for that crime. My family immediately followed the advice of the Red Cross, and they weren't given legal advice because it's not the role of the Red Cross, but they were told things like, don't go down to Germany, that's not gonna help. You know, uh, don't go hire an American lawyer because that's not gonna help either. She's covered by military law, and you have to get a military lawyer. And so just the little tips that they provided to my family helped my family basically calm down and focus on what they needed to do to help me, because I was in Germany and they were in Chicago. That was a big distance away. Were they able to get in touch with you and talk with you? Yes, the Red Cross um, was able to locate me actually and talk to my family and were able to tell me, oh, she's in prison in Germany and you need to get a lawyer quickly because she's in trouble and she's in a lot of trouble and running down there isn't gonna help anything, so work here as quickly as you can to help her there. And my family did follow all that advice. They got a, a military lawyer right away, and the military lawyer found me in the prison I was being held and came to see me. However, at the time, uh, all I knew about prison, because I'm a very law-abiding person, I don't speed. If the speed limit's 25, you will find me happily driving down the road at 20. So I just, you know, I knew nothing about prison life. The only thing I knew about prison was I had the right to remain silent. And so I did. I hadn't said a word to anyone. And by the time the lawyer found me, he wasn't certain that I would speak to him. He wasn't certain that I was present enough to even know what kind of trouble I was in enough to speak to him. And, you know, he got me a bottle of water and told me my family was safe and looking for me and that I could trust them. And he asked me what I had done, basically, to just tell him, and he would help me. And I looked at him and said, I don't even know why I'm here. And I didn't. I had no idea what I was accused of. And at that point, he realized that there had been some kind of breakdown in the way that I had been imprisoned. And he got the charges. He 
you know, read the charges to me and none of it made sense. And after a while we realized that, you know, there was a problem and it really wasn't me that had committed the crime. You know, it all got straightened out eventually, but the initial contact of the Red Cross truly made a difference, you know, in my freedom, in my family's ability to cope with a situation that was not only scary but overwhelming, and, you know, in my ability in the end to cope with it myself. The, the Red Cross was just an invaluable resource to my family, and to this day they're all very, very grateful for, first of all, the teaching to call the Red Cross if there's a problem. I don't know how many soldiers listen to that and actually know to use that resource, but um, you know my family's very grateful and I'm very grateful. So when I left the military, I decided that if it was the last thing I ever did, I would go and volunteer with the Red Cross. What was the transition back to civilian life in Milwaukee like for you? It was extremely difficult. Um, coming out of a sense of having been abandoned and, you know, betrayed, basically. And I want to say right up front, I don't have any angst about people that serve their country. I'm actually very proud of the service I gave in spite of all the things that happened. Um, but it was difficult for me to come back. When I came home, I really didn't trust anybody at all. Um, my family was very, very afraid of the whole situation and wanted me basically to never talk about it and to just keep it quiet because they were afraid I'd disappear again. Um, you know, when you first come home, you're not truly free of the military. Um, my commitment was an eight-year commitment, six of which I had to serve on active duty because of the job I'd chosen to do. Um, so I still had two years when I came home, and my family was deathly afraid that I would be deployed and never found the second time. So it was a big struggle for me to, to figure out what I could say and what I couldn't say. You know, how do I tell people about this horrible thing that's still bothering me? And I didn't. I just didn't. For two years, I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't talk about it, and I tried to pretend like it didn't happen. But it was haunting me. At night, I would dream about it. Loud noises would make me jump high into the air. Um, I would hide sometimes for what now I think was no apparent reason other than I was just suffering from a form of PTSD. And PTSD, a lot of people only want to associate with combat veterans. And that was very true when I came home. A lot of people could not accept the fact that I might have PTSD. And some of it was it wasn't in my records. And so, you know, if I go to a doctor and say, I think I have PTSD, but I can't tell you why, and it's not really well documented in my records that this thing happened to me, then what are you supposed to think? You know, so for two or three years, it was highly doubted if there was anything wrong with me at all, other than maybe I was just a little touched in the head. You know, maybe I was just having some kind of nervous breakdown. And I may have been having some kind of nervous breakdown, but not for the reason people thought. Um, it's very hard to hide that kind of trauma and to hold it within yourself and to then not even trust anybody enough to tell, tell the story. So it took a while. My return to, as I say, society, civilian society, um, was very difficult. Um, I, I had a really hard time. I was not able to hold a job. I was not able to socialize with other people. I had a hard time um, choosing living arrangements. I lived downtown, and I loved it because I, I love theater and I love the fine arts. But in the summertime when the festivals would start and all the firecrackers and things would go off, 
it would I would spend days under a bed hiding you know and it just got to be too much and I finally discovered through some help you know the, the VA provided me wonderful wonderful care and I know a lot of people badmouth the VA and I just don't find the system to be any worse than any other system I mean yes you have to wait and you have to stand in line sometimes but they're very caring nurturing people at the VA and they saw my potential which they see in most soldiers and veterans when they come home and they were just not willing to give up on me as long as I wasn't willing to give up and they made the difference in my life. They, they gave me back my life. The Red Cross played a large role in that as well because I ended up volunteering with the Red Cross. And at the time I started volunteering for the Red Cross, I was still fairly traumatized still. Um, I wasn't very good at talking to people. I wasn't very good at um, expressing my emotions. I tended to always be an extreme. You know, I was always extremely happy or devastatingly sad. You know, and some of it was I was still having nightmares. I was still having a hard time sleeping. Insomnia was is still is a big problem with me. I just didn't quite know yet where I fit. And the Red Cross was wonderful because they let me fit wherever I could fit every day. There was no demand to be something I couldn't be every single day. When you came back from Germany, did you start volunteering right away or did it take a while? It took a long time. Um, again, I was in no position to interact with people, basically. And I went through several volunteer organizations. I, I tried veterans volunteer organi organizations because I figured I'm a veteran, I'll fit in. And I did, you know, they were nice organizations, but they didn't call and speak to my passion. They didn't speak to my need to really help people who could not help themselves in any way possible, to help people who probably weren't even believed in terms of the devastation they felt. When I came to the Red Cross, I came to the Red Cross four years ago now, three and a half probably years ago now, and immediately I could feel the passion that I felt for helping people. When I go out on a Red Cross operation and I see somebody, I look somebody in the face who has lost everything they own in a tornado or fire or flood or an earthquake, um, I can identify with that devastation. I can look in their faces and feel what they feel. And that's a difficult position to be in sometimes because it, it makes me feel very intensely on every single operation I go out on. But it's also a good place for me to be in terms of my ability to work in the Red Cross. It takes a lot of compassion to consistently go out to disasters and consistently help people basically get back on their feet or at least have enough hope to start getting back on their feet. And I think it's that lack of hope that I really identify with because when I sat in that cell, there was no hope. I, I literally thought I would never see daylight again. And I never thought I'd ever be able to talk to anybody again because I knew to keep silent, you know? And to look at somebody at a fire or a flood or a tornado and look them in the face and know that that's what they're feeling. They, they don't have the words for just happened to, what, what, what just happened to them. They don't have any idea of where to step next, how to move, where do I get something as basic as a bottle of water. You know, that's overwhelming. It, it's devastating. I don't even know any other word, and words don't really describe how you feel when you're going through that. You feel truly hopeless. And to be able to look at someone and just know that all I can give you right now is a hug, but you're going to be okay. You know, if someone could have given me a hug, I would have known I was going to be okay. 
how soon after starting to volunteer with the American Red Cross did you start to notice a change in yourself? It was almost immediately. I started volunteering for the Red Cross here at home, like all of us do. And then um, about three months into my experience, I deployed to the Colorado floods. And immediately upon arriving, there are a lot of volunteers that are veterans in the Red Cross, many, many, many of us. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we relate to the idea of jump, 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 go, 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 you know, something's urgent right now, I need to move. I need to make decisions quickly. I don't need to sit here and plan it. There is a plan, I don't need to replan it. I just need to activate the plan. Um, and we're good at operating under pressure. We're good at, in some ways, isolating what we fear or isolating, you know, how tired we are and just pushing through to help that other person. For us, we see someone in need. And it's more important that we put aside our petty differences and our physical discomforts, basically, to make that person whole. And I think it's that kind of drive that makes the veterans, you know, in the, in the Red Cross highly successful at what they do. And especially in the field I'm in. I'm in logistics. And you'd be hard-pressed to find too many people who are not veterans in logistics. There's a few. But the majority of us are veterans. And again, it's the idea of we can mobilize, and we can mobilize quickly, and we know how to put the right things where they need to be, and we know how to push and when to pull back. So immediately, three, three months in, I deployed to Colorado, and I ran into you know, my fellow veterans heavily in logistics, and I just fit in. I didn't have to talk about what happened to me. There was a silence that we all shared that we knew. I didn't have to tell anybody there that I had PTSD. You know, if I'm sitting in a chair and they see me jump 20 feet out of the chair because somebody slammed the door, they kind of all knew silently what was going on. And I didn't have to be embarrassed. I didn't have to try to hide who I was or what I was feeling. I didn't have to try to be something I wasn't. And, and a lot of times I have to be something I'm not. I have to be that brave person who trudges on and feels nothing. And I feel quite a bit, you know, I, I sometimes think, I can feel more fear than most. So right away I knew when I got to Colorado that you know this is my thing. What message do you have for other veterans who may be suffering from PTSD, who may be home and lost? Reach out to somebody somewhere. If you don't trust a family member or you don't have anybody to talk to, reach out. Make an initial effort. My best advice to most is to find a physician or find a therapist or a counselor or a friend even that you can just say, I don't feel well. If you can say that much, somebody can help you. Um, you won't probably go into the deep, dark details for a while, and that's okay. I didn't know that was okay. I thought I had to pour my heart out right away to the first person I met. And you don't. All you have to do is reach out and say, I don't feel well. And that's it. And somebody, if you speak to the right people, you might have to say it a couple of times, people will help you. There are people out there you can trust because they trust you. They respect what you did for your country. They respect what you may have lost for your country. I mean, I lost my sense of security. I lost my identity as a confident person. You know, And there are people out there that will help you with that. Um, the VA is a wonderful resource in spite of all the things people say about it, in spite of all the negativity. Um, it's a wonderful place for veterans with PTSD. They have units that are trained to deal with that. So reach out. 
just tell somebody, I don't feel well, that's all. And somebody out there will help you.